Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. How do you trust God when everything around you seems so crazy? How can you rest in the fact that God is good when the world can't even seem to agree on what good means? While there may not be an easy button for it, trusting and following God in unsettling times is not only possible, but powerful. As we take a closer look at the life of King Hezekiah in our current series, Trust Me, we'll see how discovering God's best path for our lives starts with surrendering it to Him. So let's dive in and continue the Upward Journey. Good morning, Upward. It is so good to have you here today. I hope you're glad to be here. Sounds good. We're glad you're here. Man, we had a packed house this morning, 930. There was hardly a place to sit. So you got a little room today to shout a little bit, get excited and a little Pentecostal in here today. So glad that you're here. What a great day we've had so far. Today we continue in our series called Trust Me as we look at the life of an Old Testament king named Hezekiah. And the reason we called this series Trust Me that as we, is that as we look through Hezekiah's life, we begin to see over and over and over again that God was saying this to Hezekiah. God was saying, Hezekiah, just trust me in this situation. Whatever you're going through, Hezekiah, just trust me right now. And I believe God is saying that to us during this series. He's saying, Upward Christian Fellowship, trust me. Rely on me. Because you can count on me. So glad to have you here today. And we're going to look at Hezekiah. We want to also welcome our online audience today. Can we give them a big hand? We're so glad to have all of them with us today on three different platforms. We have about 150 uh, homes that join us live on Sunday, and we're so glad to have you. If you're watching today, if you would, just type in your location. Tell us where you're coming from, maybe what state you're from, what country you're from, and we just uh, will rejoice in having you with us today. Hezekiah, trust me. Now, throughout, the reason we want to listen to Hezekiah is that throughout the the history of the nation of Israel, there were about 43 different kings, both in the United Kingdom of Israel and the Divided Kingdom of Israel, 43 kings. And out of those 43, how many would you guess, how many were consistently righteous throughout their whole lives? The answer is only four, less than 10%. Out of 43 kings, Less than 10% were righteous consistently throughout their lives. And one of those was Hezekiah. So when I hear that, I immediately think, I want to listen to this guy. In fact, not long ago, I read a book about the habits of highly successful people. And I think that's pretty valuable to look in the lives of very successful people and see what habits drove their lives, what made them successful. And often you can find those things in their daily habits. Let me tell you, Hezekiah's number one habit, here it is, are you ready? When he got in trouble, he prayed. Number one habit. When he got in trouble, over and over again, the first thing that he did was he prayed. Now, if you will observe your life, my life, and the lives of other people around you, you'll find out that what people do after they get in trouble almost always gets them into worse trouble than they were in the first place. Have you ever seen that happen? What they do when something goes wrong becomes worse than the trouble that they started with. Maybe they did something wrong and they just needed to repent, but instead they try to lie about it. Then you're in worse trouble. They made a mistake and wouldn't own up to it. Now they're in 
hotter water than they were before. Hezekiah understood something, and it's so simple. It doesn't take a PhD to understand this. When you get in trouble, the first thing you need to do before you do anything else is turn to God and talk to Him about it. And if you will turn to God first and show Him your trust, God will move in your life in a mighty, mighty way. How many optimists do we have in the room? Do we have any optimists that you can just walk into a terrible situation and you just believe everything's going to be okay? How many pessimists do we have in the room? You're always kind of looking at what might go wrong and this thing is not going to be as good. President Reagan used to tell this story over and over again about these parents. They had two twin boys and one of them was an eternal optimist and the other one was a terrible pessimist. And they just could not get these boys to kind of come to the center a little bit. So they took them to a psychologist and the psychologist said, I know what to do. We got to lift this pessimist up a little bit and we've got to bring the optimist down to reality a little more. So they took the pessimist child and they took him to a room and he opened the door and it's filled with all the latest and greatest toys. There are shelves of toys that the little pessimist boy would just love. And they said, son, you get to stay in this room all day and play with all these toys. And he burst into tears. They said, what's wrong? And the pessimist kid said, oh, if I start playing with those toys, I might break one and that would be terrible. I don't want to touch them because one of them might break. So they took the optimist kid thought we need to bring him down a little bit. So they took him in a room, and it was filled from floor to ceiling with horse manure. They said, son, you've got to spend the whole day in this room with all this manure. And the little boy said, yippee, yay! And he jumped up on top of the manure pile and started digging. And they said, son, what are you doing? He said, with all this horse manure, there must be a pony in here somewhere. What an optimist. You may be looking at a situation in your life that seems like a room filled with horse manure. And you may be able to say with God, there's a pony in here somewhere. Something good is going to come out of all this. Some of you, that may be all you've got right now, but I'm going to tell you, if you will turn to God when you are in trouble, something good is going to come out of all of this. Can I get an amen? Something good is going to happen. God's going to bring a purpose out of this. Now, the events in 2 Kings 20, which is our text for today, happened about 700 years B.C., 713 years approximately before Christ came to earth. And in this setting... Hezekiah had just won a tremendous battle, and we call it the greatest battle that was never fought, because all Hezekiah did was pray, and God went out before him and fought for him while he was asleep. How many would you, of you would just prefer, God, just take care of this? God, do this while I'm asleep. Now, I wish I could say every time that's how it works. But it doesn't work that way every time. But let's just rejoice that it does work that way sometimes. That God just does it when you pray. Some of your problems, you just need to let God handle them. Some of you are going through things right now, and you're trying to make it better, and that's not working. Can I give you a clue here? If what you're doing is not working, you know the next step. Stop. Take your hands off of it. Just say, God, I give this situation to you. 
You may have a child you're dealing with and you just don't know how to straighten them out. You don't know what to do. Many times there's nothing humanly you can do. There's nothing humanly possible. But here's what you can do. You can pray. And you can say, God, I give this child to you. And you can every day get up and fall to your knees and say, God, I'm still holding this child up. And let me tell you something. God will fight battles for that child because you trust him. Hezekiah had just come through a tremendous victory. And here's what happened. They were surrounded. His city, Jerusalem, was surrounded by about 185,000 soldiers laying siege to the city, committed to destroying Hezekiah and killing everyone in that city. Hezekiah prayed, and while they were asleep one night, God went out himself and did battle. God stood against the the enemy camp, and the enemy came in, the spiritual enemy came in and destroyed that enemy camp, and they were driven away. And the man named Sennacherib, who had opposed Hezekiah, went home in shame because God fought his battles for him. Can I get an amen? God's going before you. This is good news. God's already in your tomorrow right now. We're limited by time. Jesus isn't. He's already at tomorrow. He's already at your next year. Any of you worried about what's going to happen tomorrow? Anybody? If some hands don't go up, we might be lying just a little bit. Anybody worried about something next week? How many of you have an appointment ahead of you and you know something's going to happen? Maybe a conversation you've got to have. Something's going to happen that's worrying you right now. Can I see your hands right now? This is a good moment. Something's going to happen. Can I tell you something? God's already been there. God's already visited that moment. Years ago, I went to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and I love touring battlefields. I love, I just love being on spots where big things happened. That just really causes me joy. To be on a place and say, wow, this happened right here. We got a tour guide to show us around a little bit. And they're everywhere. They want to show you around. What would you do if you got a tour guide and they said, well, I'm going to show you around, but this is my first time here too. How many would fire that person immediately? I don't need a guide taking me around if they've never been there. But when the Word says that the Holy Spirit is your guide into your tomorrow, you can be assured that your guide has already visited the place that He's taken you. Can you understand that? He's already been there, and He's fighting for you there. Hezekiah saw this happen. But guess what? Even in the midst of victory... Trouble came to meet Hezekiah. Right after this, it said in those days, this is 2 Kings 20 verse 1. It said about that time, right after the victory, Hezekiah became deathly ill. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. Now, Hezekiah might have been thinking, Isaiah is going to come and give me good news. Because the last time, Isaiah gave him tremendous news, saying everything's going to be okay. And don't you love it when those people come into your life and say, everything's going to be okay. The only problem is, that's not what Isaiah said. Hezekiah's deathly ill. Isaiah comes in and says this, King, this is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you're going to die. You will not recover from this illness. What I want you to understand here is this. Great challenges follow great victories. Great challenges follow great victories. 
when you've won a battle for Jesus Christ, there is an enemy that takes notice of that and sees that you have taken ground for the kingdom of God. And that enemy is not going to go away silently. He's going to come after you and attack you and try to destroy your life. Just because you've had a great victory does not mean that you're finished being attacked by the enemy. Now, I wish I could tell you that serving Jesus insulates you from all trials and tribulations. But that would be a lie. Trouble is going to come your way. Now, some of you, trouble has come your way because... Let me see how I can phrase this. John Wayne had a quote. John Wayne said this. He said, life is tough. It's tougher if you're stupid. (laughs) And sometimes, I will speak for me, I have paid some stupid tax. Is it just me or is there anybody else out here that's paid the bill for being stupid before? I don't want to, but it's probably likely that I'll pay some more before it's all over. If you're in a storm right now that you brought on yourself, the best thing you can do is own it. Take responsibility for it. Don't whine to anybody else about how the devil did this to me. No, the devil didn't do it. You did. He certainly cooperated with you, but... You brought this storm on yourself, and the quickest way to get out of a storm you brought on yourself is to own it, acknowledge it, take your lumps, keep moving. God will love you, God will forgive you, and He'll take you out of that storm. But don't blame anybody else for a storm that you created. That'll just lead you to another storm. Now, there's another kind of storm, though, that we get into our lives for when we did the right thing. And those are good storms to be in. They're not comfortable storms, but they're good storms because sometimes the enemy is hitting you with everything he can hit you with because you are a threat to him. He does not shoot at you if you're not a threat to him. He does not shoot at you if he owns you already. But when you're doing damage to his kingdom as you are, then he will come after you and try to wreck you. Great challenges follow great victories. Hezekiah's come through this victory and he's facing a challenge. Isaiah even tells him, you're going to die. Now understand, huge challenge. Number one, Hezekiah is only 39 years old at the time. He's very young. His father had died at the same age. And maybe he had it in the back of his mind. Sometimes people do this when their parents die young. They think, I'm going to die young. Can I just say, Can I just say, let's break that off of your life right now in Jesus' name. If your parents died young, it does not mean you're going to. And maybe you're in this place and you've lived under that fear all your life that you would die like your parents did. No, we we come against that in Jesus' name. That does not have to be your story. Hezekiah is thinking this. Also, another big problem, if Hezekiah dies, he has no son at this time. There's no heir to the throne. So it's more than a personal problem for Hezekiah. It is a crisis for the nation. Because Hezekiah is in the Davidic line. You see, God promised David that the Messiah would come through him. That's why we call it the Davidic line. That line was being threatened, and it was again and again and again. Trouble came to his life. Let me tell you, trouble will come to your life when you do what's right. The question is not, will trouble come into your life? The question is, how will you and I respond when trouble comes? What will we do? Here's what Hezekiah did. 
Verse 2, immediately when Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. He said, remember, O Lord, how I always have been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. Hear me. Great challenges follow great victories, but hear me, great prayers should follow great challenges. When you are challenged, you need to pray a great prayer, and Hezekiah shows us how to do it. Great prayers. First thing Hezekiah did is he turned. He turned away from the bad news and turned his face to the wall. Great prayers shut out all the opinions. They closed the laptop. Great prayers get off Facebook and Instagram. They get off the phone. They get off the news. Oh, goodness. It's hard to pray great prayers when you're consuming too much media. Oh, amen. I just said it in good faith. Isaiah turned away from it all, even Isaiah. Uh, Hezekiah turned away even from Isaiah. He looked at a wall. Jesus said, when you pray, go into a closet. Go into a room by yourself and shut the door. Two reasons. Number one, you don't want to pray to impress others because those prayers stink. You don't want to pray to get a message across to somebody else. You don't sit down with a spouse that you're having trouble with and say, Lord, bless this heathen that I'm married to. (laughs) You shut the door so you don't perform. You shut the door because it's you and God. You shut the door so you won't be distracted by any opinions or anything else. A great prayer is prayed to the wall. Then it said Hezekiah prayed, and he prayed this. He prayed with a very clear conscience. He said, Lord, I've been faithful to you. There's something powerful about praying with a clean conscience. If you have sin in your life, and you know it's wrong, I seldom have to tell anybody that something's wrong. They know it. When they come to me asking, Pastor, do you think this is a sin? I just say yes. I don't even have to hear what it is. You know why? Because by the time they had to come to me with it, there's enough doubt there. If you're worried enough to make an appointment with me and talk about it, don't do it. Oh, let's just be honest about it. Sometimes we're doing stuff that you, me, Grandma, and Jesus knows is wrong. Can I get an amen? I've got a profound thing for you. If you have sin in your life, Stop. Stop doing it. You wanted something so much more complicated. You wanted something profound. There's a scripture, I should have looked it up for this, but it said, let he who's sinning stop. I guess I'm done now. (laughs) Stop. Say, preacher, it's not that easy. Well, nobody said you could do it alone. But there's help for you. If you're cheating on your spouse, stop it today. Block the phone number. Get this person out of your life or they're going to wreck your whole life. Preacher, I just, I love, no you don't. I was listening to a song. How many people were alive in the 70s here? 
song came on my Spotify the other day. All you younger folks, bear with us for a minute. song came on my Spotify. It's called Torn Between Two Lovers. Feeling like a fool. I listened to that in the car the other day with my wife, and I said, somebody could get a Ph.D. uncovering all the lies in that song. If you're caught in a situation like that, get out of it today. Some of you just need, some of you are looking for a very complicated solution to your problems, and there's a one word solution repent. I don't know how to tell you any better than that. And I'm not saying it as a person who's never sinned, because I certainly have. Many times I'm trying to read a book on something, and what I need to do is repent. What does that mean? That means saying, God, I know this is wrong and I want to stop. I can't do it without you, so help me. But I'm willing to do what I can. Hezekiah had no unconfessed sin. He could just come to God with a clear conscience and pray. Amen. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. And if you'll just make the decision to repent, not telling you to solve it by yourself, I'm telling you, get some help. I'm telling you, talk to God. I'm telling you, talk to somebody. But I'm telling you, don't be comfortable with sin in your life. It will destroy your life. You let the destroyer in, he will do a thorough job of wrecking your life. Hezekiah prayed with a clear conscience. Then it says, Hezekiah wept bitterly. I love that. He just cried. Sometimes when you're praying, all you can do is cry. You ever read your Bible? You ever read your Bible? How many of you are pro-Bible readers? You even read Jeremiah. Man, if you read Jeremiah, you are expert-level Bible reading right there. If you can get through Leviticus and Jeremiah, you need a trophy. Sometimes I, sometimes I say, God, give me a word. I'm going to open my Bible, but Lord, don't let it be in Jeremiah. The old Jeremiah... He was called the weeping prophet because he prophesied and preached to a group of people that did not listen. And no matter how much he warned them, they still went headlong into captivity. You ever read those miserable psalms? You ever read those psalms where the writer is really having a bad day? There are days I've opened the Bible and I really need some encouragement. I'll get in one of the miserable psalms. I'm like, oh, Lord, I did not need this today. In reality, though, those those things are called lament. And lament is an act of worship. Lament is a way of saying, God, I can only bring this to you. And you hear my heart. That's why that stuff's in the Bible. To let you know that it's okay to have a day like that. To let you know even superstar Christians like Jeremiah and King David and Solomon. Well, I wouldn't call him a superstar at the end, but... uh, Great Christians had days when all they could do is lament. Sometimes all you can do is cry. God loves that though. You can take your suffering and accept it. When, it's, when you're suffering for doing what's right, you accept it and say, God, 
You've put me here and you've called me here. And I did what you called me to do. And now I'm hurting because of it. Now, God, I take this suffering. I accept it. And I turn it around and I offer it to you as an act of worship. When God changed Saul's life and turned him into Paul, he sent a messenger to him saying, I want you to go tell him, all the things I've called him to suffer for my name's sake. You won't read that on one of those motivational cards. <laughs> but sometimes we're called to walk through suffering to glorify Jesus. Turn it to God. I heard a pastor tell this story. I thought it was funny. He said when he was a young pastor, they lived in a very small parsonage. And along came a baby. So it's him and his wife and a little bitty newborn baby in this tiny little house. They didn't have anywhere to put the crib but in the middle of the living room. So when the pastor had to get up and go to the restroom at night, he had to walk through the living room and kind of tiptoe around the crib to get to the bathroom. And uh, he was always really careful not to wake up the little baby, you know. So one night he said he got up and in the dark he bumped the crib. And he said his little baby son just woke with a startle and just reached out his arms. He said his little baby boy just went <gasps> and reached out to him, scared to death. And he just grabbed him up and he just hugged him and held him. And he said, I got to be honest, I love that moment. When my baby just went <gasps> and he went on, he said, I'm not proud of this, but the next night I bumped the crib on purpose. <laughs> and he said again, he went <gasps> And he said, every night I bump the crib. Because he said his father's heart is that he loves it when his children reach out to them when they're scared and afraid. That's your heavenly father. Some of you are under the mistaken impression that you serve a big, bad, angry God that's trying to catch you doing something wrong. Big, bad, angry gods do not send their son to die for you. saw a post on social media the other day. Oh, they might be watching, but I'm going to risk it. Somebody asked the question, if Jesus came to your church today, what would he say? And I'm like, get ready, get out the popcorn, here it comes. Turn or burn, all the comments were like, Jesus is ticked off and he's going to clean house. You're going to flip over tables in our church. If that's true, you need to change something. Because I really believe this. Now, I don't mean this arrogantly, but we're, we're loving Jesus and serving Him. In fact, I talked to Him this morning before I got to church, and He's not a bit mad at me. <laughs> he's not disappointed in me. Sure, He's got some words for me. He's straightening me out on some stuff. But He's not flipping over stuff in my life. I believe if he was at Upward today, sitting back there, he'd be looking at me going, yeah. Amen. He'd be hugging on you. Yes. Saying, oh, I'm not worthy. Then you're the first one he'd get to. Yes. You're the first one he'd run to. Do you realize this? Early in his ministry, Jesus wasn't telling anybody he was the Messiah. And the first person he told that he was the Messiah, was a Samaritan woman 
a hated race, a Samaritan woman who had been married five times and was now living with number six and wasn't married to him. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Even the Samaritans hated that woman. And she is the... Notice I also said she. She is the first person that Jesus told in no uncertain terms, I'm the Messiah. Shouldn't you announce that to the king? He went to the most unloved person he could find and revealed himself to that person. Because God loves it when we come running to him with nothing to offer him but brokenness. That's our God. Hezekiah prayed a great prayer. His great prayer followed a great challenge. Let me tell you what happened there after that. There's, there's a man, also I need to hit this, Second Chronicles 16, there's a man named Asa. And he's another one of the four good kings. Top four. But Asa made a mistake. It says in verse 12 of Second Chronicles 16, it said in the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a serious foot disease. Yet even with the severity of his disease... He did not seek the Lord's help, but turned only to physicians, so he died. Now, Pastor Andy is not saying if you go to the doctor, you're going to die. We love our healthcare professionals. We have many doctors and nurses and healthcare workers that are right here at Upward, and we just applaud them and thank God for them. And uh, I go to the doctor. I take vitamins and supplements, and I take medicine when they tell me to, very grudgingly. But I know beyond all human help, there is a great physician who still heals people when they are sick. Amen. Even Hezekiah, who gets his miracle later, puts some medicine on as God healed him. I've often said this. If you work in health care, ask God to give you the spiritual gift of healing. Who better to be gifted to heal than people that are around sick people all the time? I'm praying that we send out doctors and nurses and healthcare workers in every field that can go out and walk down hospital corridors and say, Jesus, 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 amen. Say, they won't let me pray out loud. Nobody said you had to pray out loud. In the book of Acts, Peter just walked down the street and his shadow passed people and they got healed. Don't tell me God's finished doing stuff like that. I try to have patience, but I have very little patience for people who tell me that God's not doing what He used to do. He did not send us here with the same mission as the early church and take away all our tools from us. He sent us here to demonstrate His kingdom, and He's given us spiritual gifts to do it. Now, hear me, at Upward Christian Fellowship, we're unapologetically in favor of the Holy Spirit and all His gifts at work in the world and in the church today. We believe He wants to manifest Himself in all kinds of ways. And healing is one of those ways. A great prayer followed a great challenge, but guess what happened? A great victory followed a great prayer. Here's what happened. 2 Kings 24, 4-6. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, Isaiah just delivered the bad news and he's turning to go home. Hezekiah prays, and before Hezekiah got out the door, the Lord said, Turn around and get back in there. Hezekiah has prayed, and the situation's going to be different because he prayed. That's powerful right there. What was going to happen 
is not going to happen now because he prayed. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David, says, I've heard your prayer, and I've seen your tears. I will heal you. God gave him 15 more years of life because he prayed. Folks, I believe God still wants to heal the sick. I believe Jesus still wants to heal the sick. There are those who say the days of healing are over. They're just wrong. We love them. Jesus loves them. They're still going to heaven, but they've missed that. He's still doing it. Say, why do you believe healings for the New Testament Christian? Well, have you got all day? Jesus called 70 disciples to him and he sent them out 70. And this is what he said in Luke 10, 9. He said this, heal the sick. Heal the sick. Why? And tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. Now, he didn't heal the sick so they could look at him and say, ooh, he's, he's really close to God. He's not going to heal through you for you to focus the attention on you. People that get enamored with spiritual gifts for the sake of appearing spiritual don't have much fruit. But people whose hearts are right before God, and I want to tell you, I believe He's doing this at Upward Christian Fellowship and at other churches. He's getting our heart right so He can pour out His Spirit and His power upon us. He's getting us so focused on serving Him and not lifting up ourselves. And as He gets our heart right, folks, God's doing some good stuff now. You ain't seen nothing yet to what He's about to do. You haven't seen nothing yet about what He's about to do. He's going to use you to pray for sick people and see people healed. Now, I know when I say the word faith healer, some of you think con man. And unfortunately, there are people out there who use faux gifts of healing to con people out of money. They're there. That does not negate the fact that Jesus called His church to pray for the sick and to see sick people healed. Amen. I hear people say sometimes uh, somebody got cancer and they're really sick and they, they drove to another state to be prayed for by somebody with the gift of healing. And I think it's tragic that we should have to drive to another state. If you need to do that, then do that. But it's tragic that we should have to drive to another state to find somebody to pray with us to be healed. Jesus gave authority to the body of Christ. And it's not just the people on the platform. It's not the people with the ordination or the degree. It's everyday believers like you and I who have faith to believe God to do it. Say, now we're still seeing people healed. I've been healed myself recently. I've seen other people get healed. I've prayed with a number of people whose diseases just go away. And they go back to the doctor, and I've seen it. Doctors have told me these stories. We saw something on an x-ray, and they came back the next week, and it's not on the x-ray anymore. What happened? They prayed for me. Say, why aren't we seeing enough of that? I'll tell you why. Spiritual gifts often are activated by faith. Activated by you stepping out on faith and asking God to do it. And I felt challenged to tell Upward today, I believe there is a spiritual gift of healing 
that is in this congregation that some of you just haven't activated by faith. You haven't yet prayed for enough sick people. Maybe not anybody. So here's what we're going to do. You ready? Ready to do something? Say, why you got to tell us something to do every week? Because that's why we come here. Learn what to do. I don't want you leaving here saying that's a great sermon. Well, I hope you say that too. But I hope you do something. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for a sick person this week. Say, how do I know I'll meet one? Because God. Because if He told me to say it, and you're here listening, He's going to bring somebody around you that's sick. Here's what you do. When you see them sick, you just rear back like this. And you say, in Jesus' name. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. That's what not to do. When it said lay hands on the sick, Jesus didn't envision us going, knocking somebody down. Doesn't have to be violent. Doesn't have to be weird. Some people think for it to be God, it's got to be weird. No. When somebody tells you they're sick, you can very gently just say, hey, could I pray for you? 90% of them are going to say yes. The 10%, don't worry, it's okay. They've got a journey to make. Just love them and go on. But 90% of them are going to say, sure. Some of them will say stuff like, I really don't believe in that, but give it your best shot. Pray for them. Then reach out, take them by the hand, and I'll do this often. I'll shake their hand, and I'll say, let's pray, and I'll put my other hand on their hand. And you just be so simple and love them. Don't try to perform. Don't try to pray some spectacular prayer. Don't try to act like you're the answer. Just say, Jesus, I pray for this person. And I just ask you to show yourself to them by bringing healing to their body. Simple as that. Go on your way. And you watch what Jesus does. You watch what he does to activate a gift in your life as you step out in faith and pray for somebody. I've seen it happen over and over again. Thursday night right here in this uh, building, he told me about it after church. He sat right here through the service. He had COVID some time ago. And I remember they put on Facebook, his son put up, my dad only has, I think he said, hours to live if God doesn't do something. Guess what? People got praying. Social media does have some good uses, and one of them is get people to pray. People started praying, and guess what? They saw a miracle. God turned that man's situation around and he came out and now he's sitting here in church and praising Jesus for what he's done. He's still healing. Amen. Amen. So your job is pray for somebody who's sick and you watch what Jesus does. Amen. Let me pray with you. Jesus, we love you today. We thank you for the opportunity to be together in this place. Thank you for this great church. You're building a person at a time. We're building your church, Lord. We're transforming your community in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask you today just to move us forward. 
I pray for people here today that that gift of healing, that power to stand and believe by faith for healing would just be activated in lives as we obey you today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, who here would say, Pastor, today's my day. I'm just saying yes to Jesus this morning. Can I see your hand really quick? Just show me that hand. I'm saying yes to Jesus. God bless you. That's awesome. Awesome. Saying yes to Jesus. Can we celebrate that, church? Saying yes to Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody else saying yes to Jesus today? If you're online saying yes to Jesus, hit the little button there that says yes to Christ. We will rejoice with your decision to say yes to Him. Here's what you do. You pray, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, I give my life to you and I say yes to everything you want me to say yes to. Some of you just need to say this. Jesus, I repent. I know what I'm doing is wrong and I want to stop. Jesus, I can only do that by your power, but I invite your power to come in and change my life today. Amen, amen, amen. When you say yes to him, he comes in and he does it. Amen. It's just as simple as that. We're going to ask you to stand to your feet, if you will, at this time and get out the communion cup that we gave you as you come in. If anyone didn't get one, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper now. If you didn't get one, would you raise your hand up really quick and uh, have some down here on the front? Uh, We'll get you one. Go ahead and start opening that cup. It'll only take you about five minutes to get it open. Uh, If you get a bad one, uh, sometimes you get a bad one and it takes all day. Uh, But uh, open that cup up. I'm so thankful for these little cups. Back in old days, we passed around a tray. How would you like to take the last piece of bread out of a tray that had been touched by 1,500 people? I mean, we like that. I am thankful for these sanitary cups. Oh, what a joy it is to celebrate what Jesus did. This is what we celebrate. Jesus celebrated this meal with His disciples at what we call the Last Supper. It's the last time He ate with them. And He said, I won't do this again until we do it together in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this is a meal in between meals. This is in between the Last Supper and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, and I'm looking forward to that marriage supper of the Lamb. I promise you what they serve is going to be a whole lot better than these wafers and this little bit of grape juice right here. We're going to celebrate with Jesus. But until that day, we remember His broken body and His shed blood. Broken body is the bread. He says, by His stripes I am healed. Let's remember what He did. He allowed His body to be broken as we take the bread today. Thank you, Jesus. Your body broken for me. Now we're going to take the cup. The cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out to wash away my sins. Oh, folks, you don't need to remember your sin anymore. Jesus has washed it away. You don't need to fret about your past anymore. Jesus has washed it away because of His blood. Let's take this cup together and thank Jesus for shedding His blood for us. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now I'm going to bless you out of here. Here's the blessing today. Can you just lift your hand and say, Lord, I receive this today. Lord, I receive it. Here's the blessing. Exodus 23, 25. And as I speak this blessing, I want you to think about this. We're back, our second Sunday back, after a pandemic, we're back meeting full house again. I want you to think of what God did. We did not have an outbreak at Upper Christian Fellowship, and we stayed open almost the whole time. God was faithful. That's not yay us. That's yay God. You did something good by keeping us safe. Exodus 23, 25. God says, I will take away sickness from among you. 
I'm believing God's going to heal the sick in this place and outside of this place like never before. I bless you with faith to stand in faith and activate spiritual gifts in your life as God enables you. Now go, I commission you to go from this place and take Jesus to your world. In his name we pray and send you out. Amen. Love y'all so much. Thanks for being here today. Amen to what God did here this morning. Be blessed. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.